Blue Jays will have a two to nothing lead. Boy, that one really getting out of here. I mean, I don't know. You don't know. Nobody knows. You know, we just go out there, hey, you know, run this thing and see where we end up. But like I said, we're playing good baseball. Justin Thomas wins his first major championship here in Charlotte at Quail Hollow. Whole game here, 21 to 9. Mark Trestman's return not victorious to the city where he led the Alouettes to two Grey Cup championships. This is Toronto Today. On TSN 1050, the voice of Toronto sports. It's 11 o'clock. This is Toronto Today. Mike Hogan in for Gareth Wheeler today and tomorrow and Wednesday. And we also be back on Thursday. Uh, coming up over the course of the next couple hours here as we get ready for Scotty Mack uh, returning to his normal slot. Sean Fitzgerald will join us from the Athletic TO, a little bit uh, of Argo talk. We have football from south of the border as well. John McMullen will drop by at 12.30, uh, and we'll get uh, some NFL talk in with the uh, national NFL columnist with Fan Rag Sports. He's based out of Jersey, so we'll, we'll get to the grand scheme of things in the NFL. But the Jets are compelling for all of the wrong reasons. This could be an historically bad team. And it looks like they're not even going to give their young quarterback the opportunity to make mistakes in an historically bad year. Because, I mean, if you're trying to develop a a quarterback, why not let it be Josh McCown? It's strange. It's really a a freak show down there. So we'll we'll talk to John about that. Uh, Richard Griffin will join us from the Toronto Star. Uh, An interesting game for the the weekend, rather, for the Blue Jays. a really neat story with Chris Rowley. That's a neat story. Um, first pitcher out of West Point to win a major league game. Didn't look horrible on Saturday afternoon. Uh, and the Jays sort of, maybe that exemplifies why this playoff run is going to be so tough in terms of the Jays getting to the wild card. They played decently well over over the weekend. A couple of wins over Pittsburgh. Yet, they didn't move in the standings. Still four games out of the wild card. And they still have the same number of teams ahead of them. There's a little bit of chair shuffling ahead of them, as it's now the Yankees and the Angels sitting in a playoff spot. But to move ahead of the Angels, say, just for argument's sake, saying the Yankees end up with a wild card spot. And I'm not saying that's going to happen, but they're in the first seed right now. But for the Jays to get into that second seed, they still have to pass the Angels, the Twins, the Royals, the Mariners, the Rays, the Orioles. And the Rangers. So you can play decently well. But rest assured, somebody ahead of you is going to play equally as well. Angels have won six in a row. Seattle and Tampa in free fall right now. Certainly the Rays. And now the Jays have an opportunity to either A, catch them at the perfect time, or B, Catch them just as they sort of hit rock bottom, and if we'll turn the slump around tonight. So we'll see what happens. Rich Griffin will join us a little bit later on uh, to talk some baseball. And, and an interesting story at the PGA Championship, as a kid that I will admit, I, I don't remember ever hearing his name. I'm not the diehard golf fan, certainly. Uh, I'll watch the majors. I enjoy watching 
the players or the Canadian Open or um, say the the Pebble Beach tournament, sort of to try and get spring to arrive a little bit more quickly. But I'm not going to be watching the Greater Milwaukee Open uh, unless there's some compelling reason to. So this kid wins. And the, the thing that I think impressed me the most was the way that his fellow players reacted. I mean, here's a kid, a 20-some, was he 24 years old, wins a major. And I found it fascinating that the guys who seemed to be even happier for his win than he was were guys like Fowler and Spieth who greeted him after he putted out on 18. He still had to wait for um, the, the, the pair behind him to, f- to finish their round. But for all intents, he had, he had won the major. And just to see the smiles on the face of his competitors and, and doing a little bit of reading subsequent to his win and hearing the way they were talking about him on the broadcast, he seems to be one of those guys that when other players are feeling a little bit down about their game, he's there to help pick them up. So I think it was, it was uh, very appropriate. And this is the way that Justin Thomas reacted by the way, to seeing Fowler and Spieth on 18 sticking around to congratulate him. I mean, all the guys that stuck around, uh, I mean, Bud Colley, I've lived with him. He finished before I even started. So for him to hang around, to uh, to stick around, and, and who knows what could happen. And, I mean, all those guys to be here, it's it's a cool thing we have going on right now with the young golfers, and we're all rooting for each other. And if, if we can't play well, we want the others to play well. So, you know, obviously... It was, it was great to win, but I feel like, you know, it's a part of the little group now. It is nice to see that camaraderie, but I want to see a little, I want to see some venom at the same time. I want there to be bitter rivals in the sport. I want Phil and Tiger again, and not necessarily, you know, Tiger playing like he did a decade ago with Phil knocking at the door trying to knock off this behemoth golfer. But a little bad blood is never a bad thing in any sport. I don't want it too comfy cozy. I want it don't want it too buddy buddy. And I know that maybe this sport doesn't exactly lend itself to blood rivals. But nothing wrong with a little bad blood. Didn't see it on the weekend, but it was a nice touch obviously uh, to see those guys go out and uh, congratulate uh, congratulate Thomas on his win. And you've got to be a little lucky to win a tournament. Unless you're Tiger in his prime, winning by 48 strokes. But the kid led a charmed life yesterday. I don't know if you were able to watch this or any of the highlights. On one hole, he absolutely duck-hooked one. And you could hear the clunk as it hit the trees. And it could have bounced in one direction and been 30 yards off off the fairway. It could have bounced straight back. It could have found its way behind a tree. Nope, right in the middle of the fairway. You hear this loud clunk, and the ball just kind of scoots out into the middle. So you got a little lucky there. I don't know if you've seen the putt on 13 or so, where the ball just hung and hung and waited, and it was right on the lip, and it stayed, and it stayed, and it stayed, and then clunk. Nick Faldo with the call, though, I thought was spectacular. In your life! <laughs> because it was so reminiscent of what Tiger Woods did at the Masters uh, a few years ago. 
Baldo pulls out the Vern Lundquist call. But it was if you didn't see it, it was the same thing where the shot just hung and hung. And actually, it looked. I didn't get the stopwatch out or anything. It seemed to hang around longer than Tigers did. The kid chips in. I mean, there were a lot of things going. So, uh, again, in in the heat of a major, some things have to go right for you to win uh, to win a championship, and, and certainly uh, it did yesterday. Um, the other major story in the week, and I don't know how much play it's getting here because this is a, an American League town, an American League East town, but Bryce Harper's injury on the weekend could have major ramifications. If you didn't hear it, here's the call. Fastball pulled to the ground up the first baseline. Diving stop by the first baseman Jones. He gets up, he races to the bag, and down goes Harper through the bag, and he is hurt. He is clutching his left knee and rolling over on all fours. And here comes Nationals trainer and Harper in a great deal of pain. Oh, that was so tough to watch. He was writhing. You could tell the agony on his face. It was bad. It was so uncomfortable to watch this spectacular athlete. 6'3", 215, solid. Just reduced to a puddle. It was bad. And the good, if you didn't get a chance to see the replay, you may not want to. Uh, what happened? They, it had been raining that night. Uh, they started late. Harper gets to the bag. He's, he's, as you heard, he was in a race basically for first base. Stepped on first base, and his cleat, he was wet. The cleat slipped. As his leg was going forward, the right leg hit first, and then it just buckled. The cleat caught as soon as it got into the ground, and all the weight went forward on the knee. It was awful to watch. It's a deep bone bruise. Uh, he may be gone until the middle of September, but when you saw it happen for the first time, um, I saw Sports Center just as it had just happened, and uh, it looked a lot worse than uh, what it turned out to be. So I think they got a little bit of a break there. We'll get into baseball. Rich Griffin will join us a little bit later on, but we'll get into some football talk right now. Uh, the Argos went into uh, Montreal, and, well, offensively it didn't go well, we can put it that way, with a look at what happened in Montreal on Friday night from the Athletic TO, the man who covers the Argonauts, Mr. Sean Fitzgerald. What's up, Sean? Hoagie, how you doing? Uh, very well, uh, to, to be frank. What was your major takeaway from Friday night? Not good. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm going to hang up and listen to the rest of it. Take, talk to you later. <laughs> first time Bye, caller. Love the format. You know, all of that stuff. <laughs> Long time uh, caller. First time listener. Yeah. No, um, <laughs> it was, as I think a lot of people have been sort of quietly worrying about it. What would reality look like if Ricky Ray got hurt? Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, Ricky Ray, he had the injury history, you know, the punctured lung, the cracked rib, the shredded shoulder, the injured knee, and he'd been taking a ton of hits. I mean, I think... When he, when he left, he, he absorbed something like a league-high 20 sacks. But more than that, you know, there are hits after the throw. Um, you know, there, there are hits while he was running. It only seemed like a matter of time. But every time Ricky Ray got hurt, he sort of, you know, caught your breath. Like, you know, watching Sidney Crosby play in the playoffs. Every time he took a hit, it's like, is this the one? Um, so this is, this is the glimpse. This is the glimpse into the darkest timeline. And, you know, Jeff Matthews, 
owns every major passing record in Ivy League history, uh, wasn't able to, to really do it as the starter. Although I think, you know, maybe the hope there was that because their style of play was yeah. similar, Ricky and Jeff, that that might have worked. Um, if there is a glimmer of hope that if, if Ricky Ray is not able to return from Montreal this weekend, it could be that Cody Fajardo you know, showed glimpses with his mobility and, you know, his ability to move the ball, but mostly with his running ability to maybe create something with that offense. But the bottom line is, Hoagie, as you very well know, that if Ricky Ray's out for any extended period of time, and extended period of time is anything beyond this weekend, the Argos could be in real trouble. Uh, I I would agree. I I was a little bit... I don't want to say I was surprised by Matthews. We got into the... Jeff Johnson and I got into this at length on the Double Blue podcast, because when we recorded, it was the day of the closed practice. So we really had no idea who was going to be the quarterback, and even if Ricky Ray would emerge, uh, because the um, uh, they were being very optimistic, as, as as we were, you know, sort of witness to last Sunday, when they trotted out the um, sort of the uh, uh, the walkthrough unit, and Ricky Ray was QB one. But it was, as you mentioned, is it going to be the style? Of Jeff Matthews, where you get the drop-back passer, you know where he's going to be, sort of runs the offense the same way that Ricky Ray does with Fajardo in relief, or would you go with Fajardo? And I don't know if you feel the same way. I thought Fajardo outperformed Matthews in camp and in the exhibition games. Yeah, by the way, is it? do we have a ruling? Is it Fajardo or is it Fajardo? I, I asked him. It's Fajardo. It is Fajardo. Yeah, I uh, I asked him, and he said, you know, back home, if we're having the, uh, the family get-together, it would be Fajardo, but uh, please, please, please call me Fajardo. Okay. So we got that. I got that out of the way early because the 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 Fajardo thing was creeping into the lexicon, <laughs> even though he was uh, Fajardo last year. So I just wanted to double double clutch with him. So it is indeed Fajardo for for our purposes. That's good to know. We're te- you're teaching people here on the air today. Huh? <laughs> this is a teaching station. I don't have to know anything but pronunciations when you're doing play by play, right? So you want to you want to make sure in case the family is listening back home. Uh, but I thought I no, thought no, that I mean, in training camp. I mean. It was interesting. I, I think, I mean, to say that I sat down and really studied every quarterback below number 15, it wouldn't be uh, entirely true. I, mm-hmm. I think a lot of the time I spent watching was watching Ricky and watching Drew Willie and seeing how they compared. Because remember, Drew Willie sure. was supposed yeah. to be the guy, right? Yeah. Like the backup, the, the safety net. And what I, the takeaway from it, honestly, Hoagie, was, was just how good Ricky looked. Yes, and then you know, yeah. comparatively, how how not Ricky Ray, the Drew Willie looked, and and honestly, everybody else in training camp didn't really impress, and that's why I think you know when I say there's a silver lining, there's a there's a glimmer of hope that it could be that Cody Fajardo, you know, offers them something in the short term that you know there was that glimmer that he did get them moving. That I think in the fourth quarter, the time of possession was something like you know ten minutes for the Argos. Yeah. That, yeah. You know, there are there are elements there, but I mean, it really does come back to, you know, Ricky Ray is going to be the one who delivers this team however far it's going to go. And you want to keep looking down the darkest timeline, like Toronto is now in second place in the East Division um, with the Alouettes in first with a game in hand. Toronto's got, you know, potentially the season series on the line this weekend. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it doesn't get any easier. I mean, you've got Calgary, you're in Calgary after that, that, you know, it, it, this is this is you're never supposed to have an important game before Labor Day, mm-hmm. but this feels like one of those. Oh, and, I, oh, and, and without, without Ricky Ray, even more so. 
Oh, absolutely. The, the, the one thing that, that I don't know, and, and it's difficult, more difficult to watch the game on television than it is live because you don't get a chance to see at live speed the secondary and the coverages that a quarterback is facing. Um, but the one thing that, that I thought impressed me the most, well, it did impress me the most from Fajardo in the preseason, was that he had seemingly taken that step from young quarterback whose initial response to peril was to run. Right, I mean that's his, that's a big strength of his. And in the preseason, it seemed like things were slowing down, and he was taking that extra on a rollout, half second, second, second and a half, um, to look for a secondary receiver. And he was getting rid of the football and completing passes where it looked like in days gone by he would have just put the ball on the hip and taken off. And I didn't see that translate to to Friday night. And again, I don't know if that's just because there was nobody open because I couldn't see what was downfield or that just maybe with the game playing a little bit quicker with starters at the, at, a, at a game level as opposed to an exhibition game level, um, he just kind of reverted to bad habits. So I, I don't know what that was like, but uh, uh, I, I just saw him running a lot more than I was expecting him to. Yeah, I mean, that's part of his M.O. I mean, there's, you know, at Nevada, there are only, I think there's only two quarterbacks in FBS history with more than 9,000 passing yards and more than 3,000 rushing yards. Mm-hmm. And that's Colin Kaepernick, number one, and Cody, number two. The guy that I replaced mean, him at Nevada. Exactly. There was one year overlap. Um, I mean, there was a drop pass in the end zone. I mean, it was a tricky pass. I believe it was, in, it might have been single, but it could have been double coverage. Um, you know, that probably, you know, cost them some, some stats. But mm-hmm. I, I also wonder... If, you know, given the challenges that this offensive line has had, and I'm, I'm not capable enough or educated enough at this point to say, you know, here are the problems with the offensive line, why Ricky Ray's been under pressure so much. I mean, you have theories. Um, but I, I do wonder if adding that element of mobility into the backfield might not take off some of the burden. One, because teams aren't going to know, hey, the Argos are going to pass. Like, this is a pass-first offense. They've telegraphed that. But if, if you can just pin back your ears and you know what's coming, I think that makes it easier for defenses to scheme against. What if you were able to introduce a guy who can move and, and give him that light to go? I, I think, you know, maybe that fourth quarter was, you know, an indication of what Cody can bring to this offense. Well, he also. I also noticed when they came out at halftime, there was a completely different tempo to the offense. Like there was a jump in their step, and I don't know if that's just part and parcel of of what Fajardo brings as far as uh, style of play, or it was you know Tressman peeled the paint off the room at halftime. I don't know. But the other thing that Fajardo's uh, running does is it's going to spread things out a little bit in the box. Why you know uh, linebackers are going to have to be aware of this guy getting outside, and that opened up stuff in the middle for Brandon Whitaker, who by far had his best game of the season. I do wonder what it would sound like for Mark Tressman to peel the paint off the Oh, I agree. It would be, guys, we really didn't play that well. Go get him. Heck. You know, that, that would be Tressman peeling the paint off. He's, he's just not that guy. But I'm sure he picks his spots where he raises the voice level a little bit. You've seen him snap at practice when guys sort of half-ass it on, uh, on special teams. He, he can let them know that he's not happy. The great, yeah, I mean, just this is a bit of an aside, but the great thing that I noticed in training camp and, and sort of continued, not although not as much, but he wouldn't yell that you have the coaches who bellow across the field and it sounds like the, the thunder of God coming across. But yeah. what Tressman does, because he's always in motion on the field, is he'll, he'll, he'll jog up behind guys and say something quietly in their ear. Like, you know, is that where you wanted to be on that play? Or is, you know, is, is that the right position? And it somehow always seems more devastating because it comes across 
because he is so much in control of his emotion, mm-hmm. it comes across as the parent saying, look, I'm not angry with you. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> I have seen, have you not seen, have you not, I know we haven't been there every practice, but uh, th- there have been a couple of times where guys were, uh, to use the great word from Bull Durham, they were lollygagging uh, <laughs> off the field. And, uh, and Tressman actually raised his voice, and I had not seen him do that. He's done that two or three times over the course of the season, but usually it's, it's a, hey, you know, and then he'll go, gentlemen, you're wasting our time. You know, that cost us a minute and a half. And that, that's him raising his voice. Uh, and that's the kind of thing that just infuriates him. But if he wasn't happy, obviously he wasn't in the first half because he made the quarterback change. I'd be interested to see what he would be like at halftime if the emotions were getting the better of him, which I don't think yeah. ever happens. The other interesting thing is he doesn't use a whistle. He, he's one of those guys you can just whistle with his fingers, yeah. and it's it's louder, and it somehow echoes across. When they were at York University, you know, he could be at the far end of the field, and with the wind and the traffic off steals, you could still hear it piercing the air. It's a remarkable thing. He's a really interesting guy. But I would, I would pay, you know, maybe maybe McGregor Mayweather pay per view money to you know get a, a live stream into the dressing room at halftime when he's you know, tearing a strip off a team. Because I'm, I'm not sure I can picture it in my imagination. What do you see happening on uh, Saturday? Well, I mean, they had their walkthrough today. If Ricky Ray's back and he's healthy and his arm, you know, and we still don't know what's wrong with his shoulder or his arm or whatever is bothering him. But mm-hmm. if he's back and he's back at a reasonable percentage of his health, I, I think the Argos have a pretty good shot. Uh, you know, that offense um, can move the ball a little bit more freely. If it is Fajardo, I mean, you'd think that, you know, the Alouettes will have to scheme a little bit more differently, and that could open up some possibilities. I mean, you know, the Argos ran more, I think, against Montreal than I'd seen all season, and, you know, Whitaker finished 13 carries, 96 yards. Maybe they introduce a bit more of that. Maybe it's a bit more balanced attack in the short term. Um, but I, I still feel they're going to be hard-pressed to, to beat Montreal, and that's going to put them behind the eight ball heading into the final third of the season after Labor Day. Is Montreal as good as the record indicates? I mean, they did beat Calgary. Uh, or is this just a team that's uh, taking advantage of some slow starts in the East? And I'll be kind by saying slow starts in the East. <laughs> well, I flip that around, and you start looking now, and you think, well, who are the Argos? That yeah. The Alouettes were supposed to be their measuring stick. And you look at the Argos, and again, yes, they've improved across the board, and, and they're better than last year in a lot of facets, although they were the worst team in the league last year. Mm-hmm. But you look at their three wins, and the first was against Hamilton, which might not beat McMaster as they're currently constituted. <laughs> and then they had two against the defending Grey Cup champions, which sounds great, except both wins were literally on the last play of the game. And, and Ottawa through the course of the season, only seems like it's one or two plays per game from turning it around. So you really look at this series against the Alouettes as the measuring stick because are the Argos the team that can only beat the worst teams in the league, or is this a team that's ready to make that next step? And healthy, I think they're closer to the latter than the former, but uh, until Ricky Ray's back in line up, who knows? And I guess we'll find out uh, in about, oh, well... Ten minutes. <laughs> Are you out at practice today? I am not at why. It's just a walkthrough today. So yeah. as we saw when, when Ricky Ray took part yeah, in the walkthrough, everybody true. thought he was back. So I'm going to go back out when they start throwing footballs around. Beautiful. I may. Uh, I won't see you tomorrow then, but uh, have fun there then. All right. Thanks, thanks Sean. Have a great Appreciate day. it. Sean Fitzgerald from the Athletic TO. Uh, he covers the uh, Argonauts for that website, and um, they've got some really really good people working there so if you haven't uh, subscribed might not be uh, the worst thing in the world to say the least so our thanks to sean fitzgerald from the athletic to 
for joining us talking Argo football. And again, it's a game Saturday afternoon, 4 o'clock. Should be a perfect time for football. See what uh, what kind of crowd they get. Uh, but uh, we'll, uh, we'll be eagerly awaiting the status of one Richard Ray. Um, coming up a little bit later on, Rich Griffin will uh, join us from the Toronto Star, one of our TSM baseball insiders. And uh, we'll talk to Griff about the weekend that was. What lies ahead for the Toronto Blue Jays? They've got Tampa coming into town. Tampa's been slumping of late. And uh, we'll try to get to the bottom uh, why that's happening. Also joining us as the program continues at the top of the hour, uh, we will have Michael DeCourcy joining us, the golf editor from The Score. And uh, we'll talk to Mike about what happened uh, yesterday at the PGA Championship. And uh, John McMullen will join us as well. Uh, he is the national NFL columnist or one of the national NFL columnists for Fan Rag Sports. And uh, John's written about several things, including the ongoing uh, discussion about Colin Kaepernick and Marshawn Lynch. Uh, sitting down over the weekend. Malcolm Jenkins of the Eagles did the same thing. So, um, you, you know, he wrote about the the relationship between Kaepernick and the NFL Players Association and, you know, the the line where it's drawn about going and supporting somebody. It's, it's an interesting read. And also, John McMullen, as I mentioned off the top of the show, covers the Jets. And it's always interesting, and if you're covering a, a team that's in contention, it can be really fun to kind of go along for the ride. But it can be a lot more interesting from a writer or broadcaster's perspective to cover a team when it's absolutely crappy, when it's terrible, and bad things can get. We've seen that here. Just think of the hockey team that's played here for so long, how bad it was three years ago, let's say. <laughs> The cringe, the fan salute, all of that stuff that seems like ancient history right now. The Jets could be an interesting follow, and we'll talk to John as we continue. He's going to be in at 1230 today here on TSN 1050. I mean, I don't know. You don't know. Nobody knows. You know, just go out there, hey, you know, run this thing and see where we end up. But like I said, we're playing good baseball. Um, some people think they're smart enough to know that nobody knows that. This is Toronto Today. Mike Hogan in for Gareth Wheeler today. That was a gibby talking about the playoff aspirations of one Toronto Blue Jays ball club. Maybe our next guest knows because he knows everything there is to know about baseball. Ladies and gentlemen, from the Toronto Star, one of our baseball insiders here at TSN 1050, Mr. Richard Griffin. What's up, sir? Morning, Hogan. So, are they a playoff team? Huh, 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 huh? Are they? Uh, you got to be kidding. <laughs> That's a perfect answer to that question, but hey, I got to ask the question, right? Yeah, no, but it's it's good for the clubhouse. It's good for the players and to believe or pretend they believe that they've got a chance, even at four games back of the wild card. But you know, the bottom line is that somebody's going to separate themselves. There'll be two teams that separate themselves, and this year it may be eighty-seven to ninety wins to qualify for the second uh, wild card. But the Blue Jays. Uh, are not going to win 87 to 90 games because of the fact that they have now have three starters that they pretty much can rely on going out there. But then they have two spots. They got Nick Pepish and, and nobody's sure about Chris Rowley. It's a great story. Yes. You know, first West Point grad to ever go out there and he wins his major league debut. 
But you can't have a 60% uh, effective rotation and expect to win 65% of your ball games the rest of the way. That's just the mathematics isn't there. But you look at what they've done so far, and uh, you know, two out of three against this is this month. Two out of three against the White Sox, one out of three that should have been two out of three against Houston. You know, with that Sunday blow up, uh, two out of three against the Yankees, two out of three against the Pirates. Is this team back to being respectable? Well, they're back to being competitive, and I think you know you you look at Russell Martin uh, going on the DL, and they have probably fourteen or fifteen guys on the DL right now, although. Uh, Chris Coughlin was just DFA'd. But, but you look at the, uh, the guys that are going on the DL. They're not guys, they're good players. They're, they're veteran players, but they're not guys that were carrying the team and all of a sudden were injured because nobody was carrying the team. Mm-hmm. So they're replaceable. And you get Rafi Lopez behind the plate. You get Olman there. And, uh, hopefully for the Jays, they don't bring Miguel Montero back in because, uh, I think Hoagie, you could steal second on him, but that's just me. <laughs> Um, uh, so the, the catching that they have right now is okay. They're competitive. Their bullpen to me is still, uh, you know, a real surprise and a pleasant surprise for this team um, the rest of the season. And that's going to keep them in, in ball games. And, you know, if they get the six or seven innings from their, their best starters, uh, they can play hard in September and, you know, sort of hang around and pretend that they're a wild card contender right through the middle of the month. Okay, I haven't asked you this. I don't think I've asked any of our insiders this, but because, well, you, you mentioned his position. But when they brought in Montero, right, he can't hit. He can't throw anybody out. He seemed to be a bad teammate of the end of his experience, uh, you know, before he got here. Why did they bring him in? Well, that was at the time when uh, Luke Maley was just coming up with the, the knee problem, the knee, the knee issue, and... They had pretty much tried everybody else. They looked down at Buffalo, and, and they had uh, they had three guys that they had already run through uh, the major league team. And I think somebody somewhere in the past, they had tried to sign Montero as a free agent when he was leaving Arizona, so somebody remembered that Montero and not this Montero. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just say yes. No, no, I understand that, but it's like, okay, yeah, well, the, the Montero who was with the Cubs was crap this year and left uh, under bad circumstances, so I was, I was always confused as, uh, that a, as to why they did the that. The World Series ring, baby. Yeah, yeah, and he was the main reason for that, right? <laughs> well, he did have a big home run in he the did. series. Yes, he did, yeah. that too. Um, I think that this weekend maybe personified what the uh, wild card chase is going to be like and why guys like us are so negative, even though uh, they, they are capable of stringing some wins together. They've played really well. They haven't passed anybody, and they're still the same number of uh, games out of the wild card spot. It's just been a shuffling of the deck ahead of them. Absolutely, and, and you know, those games are out there to be won by somebody. So when you have that many teams ahead of you in the wild card standings, you can't scoreboard watch because somebody's always going to be making up ground on that scoreboard that you're watching because they're all playing each other and there's games out there to be had. And, and it's pretty much uh, a mug game to think that they can get back into it unless they put together a 10-15 to 15 game winning streak, which, you know, you're looking at this starting rotation isn't likely to happen. Uh, Tampa limps into town. They have not been playing all of that well of late. Um, you know, they've lost three in a row. They've won uh, three of their last ten. Is this is this the Jays catching them absolutely the best time or absolutely the worst time because Tampa's too good to be continuing this kind of string? 
I think it's absolutely the best time. Um, you know, there, there are times where the Blue Jays look like they should be in charge of the series against Tampa, and then Tampa historically um, steps up to beat them. But this is a different situation where it's now the Jays looking up and uh, and and Tampa ahead of them. I think it's a perfect time for them. They get Archer in that final game uh, of the series. But prior to that, uh, they got a chance to win two uh, going into the Archer game. Rich Griffin is our guest from the Toronto Star and one of our baseball insiders brought to you by Oakland Ford Lincoln, your premier source for auto service and sales in the GTA. Um, did you see the Bryce Harper injury on the weekend? Yeah, I did. Um, yeah, I, I, you hate to see star players and faces of the league go down like that. I'm not a huge Bryce Harper fan as an individual, but you know he is one of the faces and one of the great talents. It's funny because his agent, Mr. Boris, is is out there now talking about the you know the baseball needing to look after the bases. You've been around Major League Baseball for at least a week and a half now. Have have you ever heard anybody at any time talk about the slickness of the bases themselves after a rain? Uh, that would be the first time in forty four years, forty five years around Major League Baseball where I've heard that. Yeah, yeah. I, I've never heard that. And is this, you know, you, you hate to see somebody of prominence get injured at any time, but, you know, maybe it, it, it leads to discussion about something. And this is just something I'd never thought of before, um, you know, wiping down the bases potentially after a rainfall. Um, or they, they could have uh, just a little uh, trap door on top of every base in between innings, a little uh, Jack or Arnold Palmer umbrella comes up out of it. <laughs> And then it goes back down during that. I like that idea. Do you think that, the, in all seriousness, though, do you think anything will be done, like changing the composition of whatever they're going to use to cover the bases so it's a little bit more absorbent? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, with technology today, you would think that something could be done in that regard. And it'll it'll probably come up in the off season. too late for this season. But I wouldn't be surprised if it was a topic at an owner's meeting because... These guys are investing a lot of money in their players and not so much money in their bases. Well, look what happened when Buster Posey got hurt, right? I mean, it changed the way the, the game is played. Yeah, and both my sons are catchers, and they loved collisions, and then they were robbed of that pleasure. <laughs> were, were they usually on the receiving end, or did they like to catch and uh, pay back, as it were? Uh, receiving end, but uh, there's nothing like being in a dugout and your catcher gets run rolled over comes up holding the ball up high, and he made the play, and he hung in there. And, uh, you know, I know the Posey thing was, if you look at the replays, it was because of his technique in taking the throw and, and trying to apply the tag. And in a way, it was his fault, and it's changed the game dramatically. And you see plays at the plate where back in the old days, there would have been an out, but a guy's got to stand in front of the plate, take the ball, and try a sweep tag, which is not definitely not as effective, and, and it's changed the game. Is uh is that evolution of the game or de-evolution of the game in your estimation? I think I'm a dinosaur, so it's an evolution <laughs> of the game, even though I don't like it. But there's a lot I don't like that uh, that other people love. <laughs> what like what? Give me an example of something where crusty old Rich Griffin hasn't uh, caught up to the times. I would say uh, uh, the strike box on television. I would say reviews of of plays at first base. I would say, um, you know, I, I, there is a place for review, but not every time. It's Pavlovian now. You look on a closed play, you look at the television, then you look at the dugout to see if the umpire's standing at the top step. <laughs> and if they want to speed the game up, just make it on plays where a run is hangs in the balance. So I play at the plate, 
home runs, stuff like that. But, you know, it's, it's, it's really changed the game and slowed the game down. And fans are now into technology rather than into the baseball. That's, that makes sense, too. Richard, a pleasure as always. Thanks, pal. Okay, hold you anytime. Uh, that is the one and only Richard Griffin from the Toronto Star, baseball columnist of uh, of great renown and an insider here at TSN 1050. And our baseball insiders are brought to you by the Oakland Ford Lincoln Quick Lane, which is conveniently located at 570 Trafalgar Road in Oakville. Some baseball, some NFL football, some hockey. Lots to. Uh, sorry, uh, check. No, I don't think we're doing hockey. We are doing golf today. Doubt if we'll get into some puck, but you never know. Uh, we'll continue with Toronto today here on TSN 1050. This is Toronto Today here on TSN 1050. Some NFL talk, some PGA talk coming up. But first... It's time for a Sweet 16 battle in TSN 1050's Sound Wars. Oh, what a hit that was! This is the worst one for sure. Oh, indeed. The Sweet 16 is upon us as we whittle down the best sound bites. You get to pick which one survives this TSN 1050 Sound War, which is brought to you, as always, by Old Tomorrow's new Lighter Up Light Logger. It is on-air moment seed number four versus seed number five. On-air moment number four. The O-Dog, who has been prevalent in this competition, he breathes a sigh of relief after realizing a message that was meant for the boys that could have inadvertently offended the commissioner. I wrote on a piece of paper, I have to crap. And it was right in front of Jerry it was, Bettman. It was a foot away from his grill. Okay, there's clip four. How about on-air moment number five? A fictitious phone message is left by Overdrive's commissioner, uh, Jerry Bettman, for Snoop Dogg after his performance at the NHL All-Star Game. You know back up in this Snoop, it's Jerry. G-E-R-R-Y. Thanks for ruining the weekend at the All-Star Game. All I heard was this and that. It's Jerry. Call me. There we go. Go to tsn1050.ca right now. Click on Sound Wars and vote for your favorite on-air moment. Seed number four, I have to crap. Or seed number five, Snoop, it's Jerry. Voting for this Sound War closes at 3 p.m. Listen to Overdrive later today for the results and for the start of a new Sound Wars battle. On TSN 1050, Sound Wars is brought to you by Old Tomorrow's new Lighter Up Light Logger. It's available at select Loblaw grocery stores. I have to crap. Now, you were Mr. Bauer, who is uh, running the clips today. You were in Chicago sitting at the table when this occurred, correct? Yep. Um... How scary was it? How like just give us sort of the background on this story? Well, I mean, there's not a whole lot to tell on it. I mean, I didn't even notice the note had been there until after Noodles had moved it. But I guess what had happened is, I mean, we know how much the O dog can you know put into his stomach. So at some point, I guess you know he he had, he had to make a move and go to the washer. But and so he wrote the note and then forgot about it. And then yeah, after you know obviously you know Gary Bettman came on, they did the interview, and then afterwards. We just hear, oh, there's this. I have to crap note sitting there. So, were the guys at the table horrified? Was O Dog horrified, or were they just too busy laughing at him? I think when he took a step back, I, I mean, at first they were just all laughing their asses off. But I think after they took a step back and realized how just if Gary had re- read that and you know 
who knows what kind of context you would have taken it in. It could have uh, it could have gone south pretty quickly. Uh, Want to go back? There's uh, a, a, another story coming out, and again, there's your opportunity to vote. Go to tsn1050.ca. Sound Wars, click. Very easy to do. Um, over the weekend, uh, some of the games Friday night mostly. Um, the Ka- the Kaepernick esque protest came up again. A couple of more players: uh, Malcolm Jenkins, a uh, safety with the Eagles, and uh, Beast Mode himself, Marshawn Lynch, decided to sit out, so to speak, the national anthem. And, you know, it, it, it's become a thing again. I guess it's still not going away might be a better reason to put it. And, you know, if, if you're wondering why these guys are doing it, whether you agree with what's happening or not, um, you know, you can take a look at what happened in Charlottesville over the weekend. Uh, just some of the hatred that still exists. We're not perfect in this city, in this country. Far from it. But, man, it's just it's awful to watch what's happening down there. I, was, I had planned on going out and doing some stuff on Saturday, and I, could, I, I happened to click on CNN when this stuff is happening, and I couldn't take my eyes off the screen. I mean, it, just, it was so horrendous and so, my God, why is 1936 appearing in, 19, or sorry, in, uh, in 2017? I mean, what, what the hell's going on here? And uh, watching as we saw that horrific video for the first time, of the the car speeding up and plowing into the crowd. It's just horrendous. So you get why some folks, especially in the African American community in the states, are a little upset with what's been happening down there. Just you kind of it kind of underscores the whole thing. Um, so there are some people who decided to sit it out, including Michael Bennett. With everything that's been going on the last couple of months, and especially after the last couple of days, seeing everything in uh, Virginia, seeing what's going on out there, and we, earlier today in Seattle, um, just wanted to be able to use my platform to be able to continue to speak on injustice. First of all, I want to make sure people understand, I love the military. I love, my father was in the military. I love, I love hot dogs like any other American. I love football like any other American, but I, I don't love segregation. I don't love riots. I don't love um, oppression. I don't love, love, I love gender slander. And I just, I just want to see people have the equality that, that, they, that they deserve. And um, I want to be able to use this platform to continuously push the, the message of that, you know, um, and keep, keep journeying out and keep finding out how unselfish can we be as a society. How can we continuously um, love one another and understand that people are different and just because they're different doesn't mean that you shouldn't like them. Just because they don't smell the way you, you smell, what, just because they don't eat what you eat, just because they don't pray to the same God you pray to doesn't mean you should hate them. And whether it's Muslim, whether it's Buddhist, whether it's Christianity, wherever it is, I just want people to understand that no matter what, we in this thing together. And it's just more about um, being a human being at this point. That's Michael Bennett, certainly with some controversial remarks. He said sarcastically. Uh, And the other thing, Michael Bennett, um, you know, uh, he was very quick to underscore his love for the military. He went to Texas A&M, and I didn't know very much about Texas A&M aside from their football program, to be honest, uh, until I read a book called Backyard Brawl, I think was the name of it, where it talked about the history of the rivalry between Texas and Texas A&M and talked about the differences in the schools. And one thing I did know was sort of the, there, there's a tradition of military at Texas A&M, the RTC and, 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 and programs like that, very prominent at Texas A&M. So, I, I mean, the guy can back it up. And I, I pro- maybe a little bit more, maybe, uh, because of the school uh, that he appeared. So Marshawn Lynch also 
uh, decided to take a seat. And uh, Oakland's head coach, Jack Del Rio, was asked about it and had a really good response. Talk to Marshawn and make sure we're on the same page. He said, uh, this is something I've done for 11 years. It's not a, a form of anything other than me being myself. I said, okay. I said, so you understand how I feel. I, I very strongly believe in standing for the national anthem, but I'm going to respect you as a man. You do your thing, okay? And we'll do ours. So that's a non-issue for me. Isn't that the perfect way to, to respond to that? I don't agree with you, but I respect you as a man for your decision. You know how I feel. I know how you feel. Do what you got to do. And when it's over, let's go do our thing together as a team. And I understand that, the, you know, Americans are a little more in your face, okay, a lot more in your face when it comes to patriotism than Canadians are. And some of that I envy a little bit. Some of it I feel is just a little bit over the top. And when it comes to standing for the national anthem, um, I get why people are upset by that. And full disclosure, that happened once at a great cup for me. Um, we were in Montreal, and uh, it was, ju- it was uh, just after the September 11th bombing and planes and all of that stuff, uh, that, that horrific day back in 2001. And a, a writer who I didn't know who he was at the time, but it turned out he was a separatist, would not stand for the Canadian National Anthem. And I just, I, I, I used my broken French to ask him to please stand uh, for, for the anthems. I, I just, I, I just at that time especially. Uh, and, he, and he did, and I, I thanked him for that. But, um, you know, was that the right thing to do? I felt like it was. Um, if he had have stayed seated, I guess I would have respected it. I certainly wasn't going to follow up. Uh, I wasn't going to make a scene or anything like that. So I, I understand both sides of this equation. But, um, you know, I guess you have to walk a mile in somebody's shoes to really understand what they feel. And uh, as a white guy living in Canada, I can't even fathom some of the stuff that goes on. I've, I've talked to guys who have come up here from the States. One story really comes to mind. A guy who played D1 uh, in the States. He was a lineman. Uh, had come to Canada for the first time, and we were sitting in an airport, and we were talking about uh, Canada and how he was liking it. And here's this guy who's close to, uh, probably around 270, big guy from the southern U.S., and an African-American. And he came up, and, and I asked him what he was thinking of Canada, and he says, great, he goes, i got to get my family up here. I said, why? He goes, I'm 20-whatever he was at the time, 26, 25. And he said, this is the first time in my life I've been able to walk around the streets at night and not be afraid and that's a guy that size. So that kind of puts into perspective, if you can't understand what these folks go through, uh, that's sort of a, a, a firsthand recollection I have of talking to somebody who went through that a lot. When we come back, we'll switch gears. We'll lighten up the mood a little bit. We will talk to Michael DeCourcy off the top, the score, the uh, golf editor from uh, The Score. And uh, we'll also uh, talk to John McMullen in the next hour. We'll get some NFL talk in. We'll talk a little bit about the Kaepernick situation, but we'll talk about on-the-field stuff as well as we continue with Toronto today here on TSN 1050.